0: It's time for another episode of tennis channel
1: inside in the podcast that proceeds to give you what you need in the game you know and love we have a great show for you this week my name is mitch michaels from the santa monica studios with two heavy hitters two former pros now broadcasters breaking down all the action around the globe and telling a few stories as they do First up, we have the return of my friend Andrea Pekovic. She's been a delight to the broadcasting world. Has a few stories from covering the Australian Open as a journalist this time on site. What it was like to interview some of the top players. She has some thoughts on Jasmine Paolini's thousand-level title in Dubai. What to make of Igas Swiatek's decision to change her service motion. Calling some outstanding matches in Acapulco. Ben Shelton surviving Dan Evans. Tiafo maybe turning momentum in his favor. Pekovic also has some thoughts on Andy Murray saying that this is going to be it through the summer is probably when he's going to hang up the racket it's always fun to talk tennis with andrea pekovich and that's also the case for our second guest on the show jimmy arias arias comes into the studio fresh off of calling some matches on tennis channels airwaves he talks about the youth movement with Mensik, with fonseca with other players like arthur Kazo stepping up and what this means alex mickelson for the future of tennis and why they're not afraid with that brash confidence coming through the ranks He also discusses Carlos Alcaraz's next move, what it's like to have a process-oriented approach like Yannick Center, the return of Daniil Medvedev back to the action in Dubai, all that and more with Jimmy Arias. But first up, we have Andrea Pekovic on Tennis Channel Inside, In let's start the show. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In, the podcast that keeps growing, the game you know and love. Uh, our guest this week returning back to the program. She's won over 500 matches. She's been ranked top 10 in the world. But the biggest thing for me is her Twitter X bio is that German beer makes everything okay. So Andrea Pekvich, welcome back to the show. And that is a true statement, by the way.
2: It is a true statement. <laughs> um, there is no joke to be found in that statement. It's all truth. And uh, am I the first one to return three times or did you have? Good? No.
1: Oh, we've had a few you're okay. getting up there though you're okay. in rarefied air we've had a few uh weekly shows and we try to get like two guests so it okay. does kind of add up i am yeah. pretty happy and grateful for my tennis bubble but um yeah i was doing some research on that german beer quote you know with kolsch's this weekend no free ads but you know there's some places in <laughs> in town um one of the things though it's it's great to have you back great to have you commenting you're very busy with a lot of stuff we're going to get into in the current game but I did have one bone to pick. You said you could learn Spanish in one month on the air the other day.
2: was, You know, sometimes you just have these brain farts when you're on air, especially when you're on air for a long time. You forget your filter because it's a contained space. You're with your co-commentator, and I work most matches with Mark Petschy. We get along great, which sometimes is not a good thing because you feel like you're buddies, Mm -hmm. and then just things come out of your mouth that you maybe should keep for yourself and that was really one of it but i'm still positive the month is not over yet right who knows maybe i will learn spanish in a month
1: it wasn't random either it was like something had happened and there was a dis, there was a you know argument and you wanted to know and you know, i'm sure the people listening wanted to know and you're like yeah it'd be great if i just knew spanish right now <laughs> um that's the, yeah. mo- that's
2: the one thing that annoys me now that we have coaching i'm so that's one of the things that is most interesting to me, what the coaches tell their players Mm -hmm. and how much they can actually integrate into their games. And when I don't understand what (laughs) they are saying, it just drives me
1: insane. Yeah, we do need a translator, just a button that could do that. Do you think on that topic, because there's tennis all around the world, if you're listening to this, you're either waking up, going to bed, or there's just tennis all the time. But the Golden Swing coming to an end here in Chile, the last tournament, do you think there's been a popular sentiment that we need more tennis events in South America. Would you agree with that? And if so, how could they figure out a way to do that?
2: Oh, absolutely. I've played a few times in Mexico. Um, The WTA tour has a tournament in Bogota, but not as many Mm -hmm. as the ATP tour has, but I have played in in Mexico, for example, and it's just so much fun. And you can see how much the players Mm -hmm. give of themselves in the, in the South American swing, because it's just so much fun to play in front of these passionate fans and They really know their tennis, which makes me think that tennis is a more popular sport than you would think because obviously Europe is similar. Soccer is (laughs) the all-encompassing sport in Latin America and, and Europe for that matter. But I do think there is an argument to be made that to have a big combined event in South America, I think we would then have in most... You know, areas, because tennis is a global sport, we would have in most areas of the world, we would have a big combined event that would be great.
1: Right. My simple just analysis of it is look at the crowds. They usually tell the whole story and there's some of the rowdiest crowds every year. Mm -hmm. And then you add into the fact that there's a lot of hometown guys like Vinceca just comes out of nowhere. He's 17 and you see that you see the opportunity and that's the biggest thing as much as we want tennis everywhere give these players an opportunity that grow up in brazil or argentina or chile and don't have the means to maybe grow up early mm. i think it would just be great for the sport so
2: it would be great for the sport and you have to think about it it trickles down to the all very very young ones i always feel so bad for australian chinese players <laughs> and as well the south mm-hmm. american players wh- whether it be brazil or chile or argentina because of the tradition of tennis, many tournaments are in the United States and Europe. I'm talking about the challenger level. So these guys and women, they have to be away from they don't, home. They don't
1: go home from like oh Miami to like post-US Open.
2: That is so tough. And tennis already <laughs> yeah. is such a lonely yeah. sport. And then you're gone for so, so long. I yeah. see it with um, some of the Chinese players since the pandemic who haven't been home in, in years And that is weighing on you mentally. Mm -hmm. And so I just think because tennis is such a global sport and we have so many stars from all over the world, if we could have pockets of great (laughs) tennis Uh, tradition
1: everywhere, I think that would really strengthen the sport. So I wanted to ask you about Australia. You were down there. It was great. Was it the first time you were down in a while?
2: Uh, It was the first time definitely as a non-player. As a non-player.
1: Okay. So I don't have many photos this week. I just actually have one. I wanted to get it because you did different roles. I had this photo I wanted to bring up. Now, the first off, it's great, and I watched this interview, and it was great to get Sablanka to admit what we all thought—that boxing would be her sport. Yeah. Uh, shocker there. But uh, I noticed that this was kind of a new role. You were doing the on-court interviewing, and it was after a lot of times matches you called. What was that experience like being on the other side of these interviews?
2: Well, honestly, it was really nerve-wracking because I really like what I like what I liked about tennis, and what I like about announcing is you have a lot of things under control, right? What you say um how you play how you act how you compose yourself in an interview (laughs) after the match nothing is in your hand yes you can prepare the questions and you can try and be open but it's really there are players who don't want to talk to you after Mm -hmm. the the last thing they want to do is talk to somebody there are others who are open and there are others who are shy who don't feel maybe comfortable in Mm -hmm. in the english language So it's really nerve-wracking. This one was a great one. First of all, I love my outfit. (laughs) Well done, me.
1: Yeah, there we go. (laughs) I
2: love uh, Irina's outfit more, honestly. And she was, I mean, Irina, I know I've played against her a few times. So I knew that she was probably going to be very open and she was and it was a fun one. That was really cool. yeah.
1: I'm trying to remember. That was probably a smooth sailing for her. She didn't have many tough matches down in South no, and down it in was Australia. The
2: one, uh, that was my proudest moment of. Um, that was my first question. She had one O and O, and yeah, she had won right. The first set one and O, the first match one and O, the second two and two, and then O and O. So I asked <laughs> her, "Is that fun for you sucking the joy out <laughs> of other players' games?" And she was laughing. Yeah. So,
1: I think I broke the ice there. No, it was great, and and also I remember you calling that match. You know, because that's the thing: you're calling the match, then you have to go right into interview mode. You're mm-hmm. not just, you know, prepping for the interview the whole time. You were on the call, and I was watching the world feed for the Quinn Win Zhang match that she almost lost yes. against Wang, and that was that's got to be nerve wracking too. You're talking to the player after when it's like, how did I even survive this?
2: Well, and uh, as you mentioned, I don't really have time to prep for the interview. I prep <laughs> both players, but then you, you know, as while the mo- match goes along, I always want to ask... I kind of do a thing where I ask one question to, about the match, <coughs> what happened in the match. Then if it, it's been a crazy match, like with uh, yeah, yeah. with that drag yeah. against Wong match... Uh, you want to ask another question. So you kind of have to pay attention. What is happening? Mm-hmm. The expressions. What are they talking to that box? Is there anything you can ask? But then when it's a match in a third set tiebreaker, mm-hmm. you don't know who's going to win. Yeah. Who do you prep the <laughs> questions for? You know? So I had 10 questions in my mind for both players. And uh, and that was also both with um, Iga Swiatek. I interviewed her after she uh, came back from 4-1 in the third. Collins against the match, HAL yeah. Comments. And with Chin Wen, it's actually better for the interview when they got through a tough one because they are so relieved that they have (laughs) won. You can just feel the relief in Mm -hmm. their demeanor and then they are much more open to the interview.
1: Well, it's good to see Chin Wen's run uh, and Lina there to support. Did you get the proper hello that we now is greeting everyone with, or Chin Wen? Just the proper slap.
2: <laughs> I didn't
1: get it, unfortunately. No. I hoped I would get it. It's one of the it. funniest <laughs> clips I've seen. Just it's great. so
2: good. And, uh, and in Australia, because it was the 10-year anniversary <laughs> of, uh, of Lena's mm-hmm. run to the Australian <laughs> Open title, they had so many clips about her, and they were they kept showing footage of her run. Yeah. And she, I forgot how funny she was. Like, I had it in my mind it's that hysterical. she's funny. to Hysterical, her speech after she won the interview is yes. absolutely amazing. I think
1: she said something along the lines of, like, her husband's really lucky, yeah, that married <laughs> to her. so I was like, This is a really funny person. <laughs> well, is in the mirror in the rear view, but I mean, the I do think, Andrea, that we're going to look back at this and think this was kind of a transcendent moment because sinner breaks through, yes. first major of maybe we think many, and sablenka backed it up, and she had been having issues, she'd been so consistent, but. Mm. You know, she got that two-slam club, that rarefied air. So I do think we'll look back at AO24 as a transcendent time.
2: I absolutely think so, too. I agree with you 100%. And I think if we look back on 2023, Arena Sabalenka had a real shot at winning all four Grand Slams, if you think about it. She won the Australian Open. She was up 5-2 with a match point in the third set against Mukova in the semifinals at the French Open. She was up a set and a break on Anja Boehr, in the, in the semifinals in Wimbledon, and she was up a set and a break against Coco Gauff in the US Open Finals. So we could have had uh-huh. a grand slam, Arena Sabalenka, but she faltered here and there, especially when she was up, lost her track. She didn't <coughs> end the Australian Open. She was the player to beat from first match on, and she managed to just work with those expectations, never faltered, and she was a level ahead of the rest of the pack. And similar to Yannick, honestly... Um, except for the final he he (laughs) never really really got into big danger the one thing that um that I was worried about seeing Novak Djokovic is that was a first bad match at the major Mm -hmm. tournament we have seen from him in a long long time
1: yeah we take for granted the fact that it was just assumed he'd play well and the older you get that assumption kind of goes out the window so it was it was remarkable stuff Sabalenko like whatever it is and those hiccups were always going to kind of be with her yeah but the game's always going to be with her too and she's just proven that she's very comfortable down in australia
2: yeah exactly and um there was we were in the green room and i don't remember who said it to me but she was playing so well she was beating <laughs> somebody else easily and uh and one of the commentators maybe it was mark philippusi said to me this girl shouldn't lose at all yeah. at this at this level of of play and in that moment i really agreed with him but you know, the, the fun part about the Arena Sabalenka is that sometimes it can go <laughs> yeah. off, but it's it's more fun when yeah. she's on and when she's playing well. She
1: puts in that proper off-season, too. She's, I, don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that she plays well in January. And um, I yeah.
2: honestly, sorry to yeah. interrupt you, but I honestly think that loss against Coco Gauff in the U.S. Open final mm-hmm. was the best thing that happened to her because I had the chance to interview her right after she won the Australian Open. She came into our <laughs> studio, the World Feed studio, <laughs> And I asked her, Arena, um, you look much more like an all-court player. What happened in the off-season? Like, what was your thought process? And she said, you know what? When I lost to Coco, I realized I need a B plan. I was hitting the ball well. I was playing well. But Coco was getting everything back. And I just, at one point, didn't know how to win a point anymore or how to make a winner. So I was working on my net game. I was working on more variety. And I really think that that loss (laughs) against Coco actually was really really important for her
1: i completely agree and she has a b game that's super scary for the wta tour Uh, we've had our first uh a thousand level event in the wta won by jasmine Paolini over kalenskaya so i don't think anyone had that final written down (laughs) before but what a breakthrough i mean props to kalenskaya for getting to the final but Paolini into the top 15 has worked very hard to get to this point and was trailing in almost every match she proved that she has that grit and determination but it is kind of a tennis life-changing win for Jasmine Paolini.
2: It, it absolutely is, but I will say for both for um Kanskaya and Paolini, both of these players have been playing really well for the past month. Rarely ever does a big win like that mm-hmm. come out of complete nowhere, out of complete nothingness. <laughs> and Paolini played an incredible she was with Leila Fernandez, she was the player of the Billie Jean King Cup at the end of the season. So she beat so many good mm-hmm. players. You could already see that she was really finding her game. and. You know, the thing is, with both, actually, it's very similar, Kalinskaya and Paulini, they are such talented players. They have so many weapons in their arsenal, and and sometimes it's harder for these types of players.
1: hard to pick. Yes, exactly.
2: I take myself as an example. I wasn't as talented, but it was simple for me when I didn't play well. I knew what I had to do to play well Mm -hmm. again. I needed to work hard, I needed to be fit, and I needed to stand on the line. That was it. (laughs) For somebody like Paulini, you can play a drop shot, can play at the net, can Mm -hmm. play spin, can play Mm -hmm. hard which shot do you pick? Yeah. And I think she's finding the structure and she's finding um, the way that she needs to play to win these back big matches. And um, and Anna Kalinskaya was already playing well at the Australian Open. Nice to see them both yeah. back that, those performances up. And uh, yes, it was surprising, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. But when you look closer yeah. at it, it's not that surprising.
1: As someone that's working pretty hands-on with the German Tennis Federation and what they're trying to do, developing players... You notice, like we've seen on the outside, Italy's kind of proven that they're getting it right a little bit. What are they doing where it's not just center? Paolini's coming up. There's young players on both tours. How is Italy getting it right, at least at this stage?
2: So, what I think, and I'm a strong believer in that, I really think Italy forever has had the most amount of tournaments on the Challenger and ITF tour that I still when I was playing. So when I was playing, most of the 10Ks, 25Ks, 50Ks that I played were in Italy and France. And I really think, this is speaking about Europe, obviously, but in Europe, so if you have these tournaments, and I the thing that I believe strongest in and that I work as a mentor in the German Tennis Mm -hmm. Federation with is that these players need to play each other over and over and <laughs> over again. You see it with the American squad. You have a time, Tommy Paul and a Taylor Fritz, and they yeah. didn't play so well here in Acapulco. Yeah. But they keep pushing each other, you know, and they are playing better than they maybe would have if, they, if, if it wasn't for the other guys. And so I try to bring my girls together and have them play matches with each other. And I think in a very organic and natural way, that is what's happening in Italy. Right. They are playing at the same tournaments. They are playing against each other. They are pulling each other yep. up. And when somebody like Yannick Sinna does well, all of a sudden you have <laughs> Matteo Arnaldi beating Taylor Fritz. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it makes you see that things are possible. You saw the same thing with Serbia um, when Novak started breaking through all France the maybe
1: would be one France, the men exactly. that generate it might be happening again with France actually <laughs> exactly
2: exactly but no that,
1: that's a good point growing the game at that organic or level it's it's like winning a big tournament it doesn't happen overnight but slowly they've done enough they've developed it and you're seeing some
0: great things there Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com.
1: I'm Morith Andrea Pekovic here on Tennis Channel Insight, and I do want to talk to you about about ego. she had another great run in the middle east can't win every tournament we know Call and skye played well in that match but the bigger thing for me that i want to ask you about is her tinkering with her surf. Mm-hmm. it's something that's very fascinating to see a player at the very top say i'm gonna fix something and know in her mind that it might take one step backwards before two steps forward
2: yeah so this is i love to see that <laughs> right and it's stressing me out because i still sometimes think as a player and when i see somebody tinkering with uh, whichever shot it is in the, in the arsenal, it makes me really nervous. Because I know the feeling that you have when you all of a sudden don't feel a shot and you don't know where it's going to go at <laughs> yeah. times. Yeah. And uh, and for Iga being number one in the world for a while now, but exchanging that, yeah. that place with Arina Sabalenka, it's really great to see and fascinating to watch because she knows, she feels the other players breathing down her neck, especially Arina Sabalenka, so she knows she has to keep evolving and developing her game, and the one thing that she doesn't have compared to Arena Sabalenka and uh, Elena Rybakina is that big serve that mm-hmm. can get her a lot of free points, and uh, example on the ATP tour, Yannick Sinna did the same thing, it cost him the French Open, he lost in the first or second mm-hmm. round, I think to Altman, yeah, in five sets, and everyone's like, oh, what is happening <laughs> with Yannick Sinna, but they were tinkering with his serve, they were trying the um, thing where he doesn't move his right leg up. Then they went back to that and all of the sudden it clicked together. And now he seems to be unbeatable for the past yeah. few months. He's been the player on the ATP tour to beat. And uh, and hopefully the same thing mm-hmm. will happen for IGA too, but it is risky and um, and it is always the question, do you go ahead and do that? Mm-hmm. We talked about it last time <laughs> with Coco Golf's forehand. Do you go ahead? Do you try and do it? Yeah. Or do you stick with what you have, especially when you already have one major tournament?
1: That's what's the craziest part. She's super young, and she is very process-oriented. It's a smart thing to do. It's unlocking that extra potential, which who knows what that could lead to, even more dominance. But. It, Sinner at the time was young also, but hadn't got to the mountaintop yet. She has. So that's the part that's fascinating, that she's looking at the big picture, even when she is number one in the world. So. Yeah,
2: and I, I really believe that Iga will find a way, but I have one negative <laughs> example, and I'm really trying to separate this from Iga now. Yeah. But um, Martin Kaima, the golf player who was number one in the world and who won oh, the yeah. U.S. Open, he um, I was friendly with him for a long time. I haven't seen him in a while, but... Um, I was friend, and he told me this thing when he won the US Open, he never played well in Augusta, and now I don't know anything about golf, <laughs> forgive me. But apparently, the Augusta course plays a bit different, and you need to um, adjust your swing to right. that. And he tinkered with his swing, and he kind of lost his confidence, oh. and never found it back yeah. for a long, long time. So that's what I mean, just, this is not an example <clears throat> to show, oh, is not going to make it, it's just an example that there is it's, a risk risky, involved, yeah. yes, and that you need to Bring respect to those players that do it and try to get to, to unlock that other level.
1: Do you think this is going to be a year? It's like a quick question. Do you think it's going to be a year where we're going to have like multiple women major champions? Like, are we looking at three different women winning majors this year? Or do you see?
2: Uh, I, s- <laughs> I think so, but I do think that it will be women that we know about. Okay. All yes, right. So I it do seems think it's way. going Yes. I do it's think a, it's going Egon to
1: the clay is just yes, tough to bet against. Ega
2: on the clay. I think. <laughs> Rebeka Sabalenka toss up at Wimbledon, and then I really see Arina Sabalenka winning the U.S. Ah. Open. I think she should. I think mm-hmm. it's very it plays very similar to an Australian Open. The only thing with these big hitters, and you see that oftentimes, yeah. um, in the towards the end of the season, the sh- with the tiredness, the sharpness goes a little bit away, and with those big hitters, you think, oh, they just hit big; it doesn't <laughs> matter. But they have to be extra precise. Right with their footwork because they swing so hard that when the margin is a bit off, mm-hmm. the balls fly off as well. So that's the only thing to keep in the back of your mind. But um, yeah, I see Arena Sabalenka doing really well
1: at the US Open. Well, I can't wait because it's going to be a fun year where they're jockeying for the throne in a lot of ways. On the men's side, you've been calling a lot of these matches in Acapulco especially. Mm-hmm. I was watching Shelton Evans. Um, I don't know what it is with you calling these matches, especially with partners <laughs> named Mark, yes. different Mark this time. Yes. Um, but that was that was an insane match. I think my jaw about hit the floor when, when Evans hit that like fadeaway, fall away oh overhead. Oh my god. <laughs> but Ben Shelton winning that match was impressive because he found a way and it wasn't it's not always pretty, you know, on the tour, but the, the objective is survive in advance and Shelton winning, breaking back was good for his confidence now in a tournament that is opened up considerably.
2: Absolutely. I think many, um, not I think, I know many of the favorites have left left the field. There is a big opportunity for Ben. And I have to say, this was one of the more impressive matches I've seen from him, maybe the most impressive. The reason being... We saw what he can do when everything clicks into place. He can hit anybody off the court. But I called a few of his matches last year when he was not doing that well. And when he couldn't find a way and lost the first Mm -hmm. set, it kind of went downhill really quickly after that. And he really pulled himself together. You could see that he was struggling to just (laughs) keep calm and carry on. And he managed to do so. And he found a way. And what was so impressive with Ben, because normally you think of him as the guy who needs to win rallies by shortening them. And in the end, he was the better rally player, and he wanted to get in those longer rallies because he was playing better and better and and more solid. And I think that was really uh, a Ben Shelton that has unlocked another Mm. level and that will be out there for a a very long time.
1: The opportunities there, Fritz is out, Zverev is out, Tommy Paul is out, Jack Draper has been playing pretty good though. Uh, Demon Hour sits a fuss still in, and I was just thinking Demon Hour playing the best tennis, probably of his life. But that number, 0-10 versus Tsitsipas, did you ever have a number like that against anyone growing up? And how do you... Because Demon Hour is playing better than he's ever done. But how do you get past that? I've literally never beaten this guy.
2: <laughs> it's really hard. Listen, I, yeah. I think I had an 0-6 or 0-7 against Agnieszka Rodvanska. Yeah. I feel like we talked about yeah, her already right. here. And the worst part about that is not that I lost 3-3 three and three every time. Oh, I yeah, was they were so battles. close yeah. every single time. And I never managed to get over that hump. And it is in the back of your mind, the tournament where I played by far my best tennis in Beijing. It was um, the Master uh, mm-hmm. Masters 1000, WTA 1000. I was playing my best tennis. I was in the final. Mm-hmm. I was up 4-2 <laughs> in the third set. And there is just a little obstacle in the back of your yeah. mind. and. Um, she played well and she beat me again, again, Agnieszka. And when she <laughs> retired, I was so angry because I wanted to get it, that one win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well,
1: hey, there's always you know the the exhibition exactly, circuits and stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Demon Hour, what he's done, how he's put. We talked on this last week, how he's you know added some weight, added some strength to his yeah. shots. And Sitsipas' confidence can be up and down, though. He looked pretty good in the start in that match against Sefiun, but you get the sense that Demon Hour is building towards bigger and bigger results. And on the flip side of that. Tiafoe last night, a match you called, survives against Max Purcell. It was a big one because you can kind of feel with him the dam getting close to bursting. Like there's a lot of pressure on him. And you know how it com- compounds week to week when you don't have that result. And suddenly Indian Wells is coming up, semifinal points. That was a much more crucial win than I think most people realize Tiafoe holding on yesterday.
2: Absolutely. I feel. I really feel for him. And this is the toughest part when you have a player like Francis who lives on the joy of the game and who lives uh, on um, playing the game rather than working Mm -hmm. the game. And I always think of one thing that um, Alexander Zverev said when he beat him at the French Open last year. He said in the German interview (laughs) that I I listened to with Boris Becker, actually, he said, uh, Boris asked him, what was the goal today? Like, what was your game plan? Mm -hmm. He said, honestly, I just tried to suck the joy out of the game. I tried to not get engaged with the crowd. I tried to play... As robotic as possible, (laughs) no games, no net play, no drop shots, just play cross court and try to suck the joy out of the game. And I think what has been happening to Francis a little bit is the pressure of playing well is um, is mounting, as you said. And so he's lost that joy a little bit. And I think yesterday coming through that really, really tough second set, he had to save a lot of break points. Maybe that could reignite that joy and... If it happens, it will be an Acapulco because mm. the crowd really gets into these uh, showmanship players. <laughs> yeah. And I really hope he finds that again because you have these type of players, similar with Carlos Alcaraz, if you see mm-hmm. him. When the pressure hits mm-hmm. him, he loses the joy mm-hmm. for the game on Jabeur, exactly mm-hmm. the same. You have these players who need to play the game to play their best. And Francis is one of them. And hopefully that match yesterday turned it around for him. <laughs>
1: We're going to pay attention to that one. I did want to get your thoughts on some of the women's events going on. And I know there's a 250 in Austin, but the player I want to focus on because of her year and her announcement was Danielle Collins. Mm -hmm. So she said this is going to be, it was kind of an interesting, she loses that match against Iga says, this is going to be my last year has played decently well since and had Iga in that match as well. But do you think it's maybe more freeing Andrea that she knows this is the last year I'm going to go through it. Like her play hasn't dipped and it's also the debate of, is it better to just announce your retirement or just hang it up after the very (laughs) last match? (laughs) So
2: I hope it was kind of an impulse thing. You know, you lose a match, you're frustrated, (laughs) you're like, ah, I'm going to retire. i said that throughout my career at least 150 (laughs) times. So I'm kind of hoping that's the case just because she is playing so well. Already in that match Mm -hmm. against Iga, I personally believed, and I said it at the time, if Danielle had played a bit better the previous months because she hadn't won a lot, I think she would have beaten iga but in that moment she hadn't had won so many matches and you could see the doubt creeping Mm -hmm. in so you could just but you could just see that she was playing well she beat angie kerber in the first round so it was Mm -hmm. a tough draw and she was presenting herself really well has played well since then so i'm hoping it was an impulse Mm -hmm. thing that she said and it's not the truth but she does look freed up i do think that she plays with a lot more freedom um swinging swinging at the balls like she used to with full conviction and that's the Mm -hmm. most important part with her game
1: as we record this on wednesday um the the news came out about andy murray after the press after the match today he lost a tough match against ugo and bear who's playing exceptionally well should point out these players that are beating andy murray are by and large really good players That said, he came out and said, look, I'm probably not going to play past the summer. It's the first time he's really talked about the finish line. It isn't too shocking. I just, I wanted your perspective on this. And also, I hope that it's not, you because he mentioned getting asked about it every week and how annoying that is. I hope that's not taking the joy out of it. I hope this is a decision he had in his mind because it's his right to when he ends his career. But look, he's a guy that expects to win. And when that's not happening, I don't think he was going to play indefinitely. How did you take the news that Andy Murray decided that summer seems like it's going to be it for him?
2: Well, so it made me really sad. I'm a big Andy Murray fan. I think um, he could have achieved much more if he didn't have three metal hips.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Three metal hips and the three greatest players of all time. Exactly, and the three greatest of all time at the same time.
2: Um, But putting that aside just from a personal experience, how age came for me Mm -hmm was very prompt and very sudden. Mm-hmm. And yes, you feel your you know, you feel the recovery process is slowing down, you can feel your muscles are not explosive anymore, but you can still kind of hang in there with the experience you've collected over the years and with reading the game better than you used to in the in the beginning with training smarter. But in the year i retired all of the sudden i was old it was really really? it almost felt like from one day to another and what i mean by that all of the sudden when i did have a little injury it wouldn't go away anymore it took me two three weeks and it was july and i looked back at my season and i had missed most of my training days because i was sick or injured or didn't feel well or was tired and so i what what I see and what maybe has happened to him that all of the sudden he's feeling the age and it just came out of nowhere. And yes, he felt it for a while, but all of a sudden it just seems like your experience can cannot balance out yeah. the things you lose by biology and sheer the aging process.
1: You know, he's in rarefied air. You also, I mean, you were in the top 10, so you're no stranger winning big matches, but... There's and you don't have to name players but right there's players that you were accustomed to beating that maybe that isn't the case anymore mm-hmm. and that's when you see like okay what's really going on here I wouldn't have had much adversity if I played my game against this player and now I'm losing to them that's got to be a tough thing for anyone let alone a three-time major champion.
2: Yeah, so I uh, it's actually good because I was a good player, but I was never a great player. So it's really good to have my example. So I felt when I played my best, so we have a camera here, but for those who are just <laughs> listening to the podcast, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm drawing a line with my right hand. So um, I, if this is the pack of all the players, when I was playing my best, I was here, right? Okay. So just above it. So when I started getting older and worse, all of a sudden I was at the same line as the pack, right? So if I had a bad day, I would lose. Andy Murray, Serena Williams, Novak Djokovic, mm-hmm. these type of players, they are way ahead of the pack. Mm-hmm. So when they start aging and start playing worse, they are still a little bit <laughs> above the pack. Yeah. You know, They are yeah, still yeah. beating most of these players. Yeah. But however, at one point, the biology just catches up with everyone and I was very fast, but even with me, it <laughs> caught up. Caught up yeah. And so uh, at one point, you're all of a sudden on the same line and I just think for them it's harder to take because they are used to being so much better for the long longest of times and for me and my ego not having been a grand slam champion was maybe a bit easier um, compared to them
1: well there's a big tournament in the summer that he's won twice so I would assume that might be where he hangs it up if that's the decision but again play as long as he wants we'll see what we have left with Andy Murray but
2: always keep <laughs> in the back of your mind players say weird things after, after watches, they yeah. lose so yeah. just you know there's like r- know. just remember when Andy Murray retired and the <laughs> Australian Open played like this huge thank that you was hilarious. video and then, and then he's then like I
1: am i don't know why they played that
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then in Doha he was like just kidding yeah. I'm back and that so, was
1: so funny he yes. had Nadal and Djokovic and Federer saying we love playing and he's like I don't know what that's for that
2: was my favorite wow. moment in tennis history honestly. <laughs>
1: It's tough to beat. Uh, wrapping things up with Andrea pekovich a few more things I want to get your your thoughts on. I did remember, I didn't think of you for one thing in particular. You ain't asked, the Panko's been playing great tennis, right? And it's a very difficult player to play against. How does what's the player's perspective of when you're on the other side of the net from someone like her? When there's going to be games, let's say, played, how would you handle that in your playing days?
2: Well. Um First of all, there is no perspective because the only perspective when you play Ostapenko is how do I survive. <laughs> uh, speaking about the tennis, because she takes so many risks, it's really very yeah. little in your hands. You just kind of have to stay in there, keep focused, and wait for an opportunity when she gives it to you. Talking about the the games and the um, and the bathroom breaks and and the injury timeouts, when you there is a a thing that. I call, or my friend, actually Renee Stubbs, she uh, framed that uh, face, is locker room reputation, right? So that's something that maybe journalists are aware of, but every player has a locker room reputation. So for example, I didn't even know my locker room reputation until I retired, and a lot of players and coaches came up to me. I was like, oh, you were always so such a fighter, and you were so competitive. And I guess that was my locker room reputation, and I was very competitive, Mm -hmm. and I was a fighter there are other players that have locker room reputations in the terms of they will delay the game they will maybe go to the bathroom they will maybe take a medical timeout and you just are mentally prepared right. when you walk onto the court with that
1: right and i and i think with astapenko it's more the energy and kind of the outburst with maybe some calls in and out i wouldn't put her in that and yeah, i know the she's grou- actually I know, quite tough yeah. i know the group I, I, we can all think of players <laughs> if you take medical timeouts at inopportune times there's certain things that again your reputation your Tennis is such a unique sport in so many ways, but you're traveling with the same people all around the world, yeah. you're, and you're in the same locker room. Yes. You're not in separate home-and-away locker rooms. so yeah,
2: yeah, you you just know your fellow players, and maybe you know them better than you know your best friend because <laughs> you just see the yeah. rawest, purest parts of them. And you're absolutely right. Yelena. Osteppenko is actually quite... tough Uh she is um she's not not soft at all you there was always like really tough matches but yeah she likes to you know discuss with the umpire question calls and so you know you just walk in and walk Mm -hmm. on the court with um being mentally prepared being emotionally prepared and just trying to focus on yourself
1: it makes total sense right when Novak Djokovic says I can be I'll be friends with Rafa and Federer when we're all retired and like we can have a beer or a drink on the beach because when you're playing you're in that zone where it's just the enemy
2: well i felt it when i retired all of the sudden i had and i had great friendships Mm -hmm. and i really thought we were so close and then i retired and all of the sudden there was a much closer intimacy between us because there was a wall up that you maybe don't notice in that moment if you're unaware of it or if Mm -hmm. you don't pay attention to it but there are things you don't tell your friends, quote unquote, because you might play them the next day (laughs) or the next week. And so you maybe don't tell them that you're struggling with your coach or that you're not feeling that well anymore, that your leg is hurting. And when I retired, all of a sudden, the uh, friendships I did have, they Mm -hmm. became more intimate and we became closer. And that's been a really nice part of retirement.
1: It's great to see, and you've stayed busy during retirement. Before we go, I have to ask you about, you know, the new author side of things. You're writing, like you've got columns now. You've already been a published author, but you're leaning into, you know, the old school journalist style (laughs) that these kids have no idea of.
2: (laughs) They really don't. Yeah, I have a a newsletter now. I have a sub stack. I have my columns. My second book is coming out. So uh, I I prefer to walk around (laughs) with long black coats, smoking (laughs) and drinking whiskey and bars. Um, so if you ever see a woman <laughs> like that, it's probably me. You can come say hi. It's like Hunter S. Thompson?
1: No, it's very <laughs> yeah. effective. But no, and, and seeing you at some of these speaking things for like different books and stuff, it's nice that you're out, you know, interacting with the fans. I thought you put it perfectly, the clip or the quote I saw talking about the differences between Serena and Osaka, how Serena plays smaller and Osaka plays bigger. And that's the kind of perspective that only the people that shared the court with them have any idea of.
2: Yeah, exactly. So um, it was always, it's interesting that, I see it now sometimes when I uh, commentate on players and I try to make myself aware of that I have never played. I'm aware that I'm missing something. So I tried now and Mm -hmm. when I was at the Australian Open, I really made an effort in going to all the practices because that's when you get a Mm -hmm. bit of a different perspective. And I really profited from, in my announcing gig, I profited off of playing most of these players, (laughs) knowing what their ball feels like on the record and on the strings and how it feels like playing them. And I'm, I'm aware that I will lose that soon the older I get and the more younger players come on tour. But, um, but yeah, you just have to keep it in the back of your mind that you mm-hmm. can't see everything on a,
1: on a screen. Well, that motto of just aiming high and then failing spectacularly, <laughs> which I said you need to have a T-shirt made for that. That is my
2: motto. That's been my motto forever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's perfect. Before, before we go, last thing, do you think of this San Diego event? It's 500-level tournament, players like Pagula, Pavia Chankova, Emma Navarro, Donna Vekic. Do you think there's a, a name in there that could and maybe will have this bigger result and take that into Indian Wells and the Sunshine Double? Well,
2: this uh, section, particularly yeah. that you mentioned, is a really tough section. There are so many great players there. I honestly think that Pavlyuchenkova is bound to play really well again. Uh, she has the. It's a fighter. A that's, that's a fighter, coach. also. A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she has a new yeah. old coach, Benny Ibrahim Zadeh, who she worked with really well. And um and I saw her in in Linz, she's hitting the ball real well as long as she keeps healthy and her knee is okay, her big injury I think she is bound to to make a big splash in the Sunshine Double.
1: Forgot about Had and Maya as well. Another one to watch. She's another one of these big heavy hitters. Uh, Andrea, this was fun. We're gonna do this twice a year, so I'm gonna see you again in the summer for sure at some point. And uh, I did have the final parting shot. Is there any other hobbies? I know sailing was the big one last time. Oh
2: yeah, I did never follow through <laughs> with that. Well now my new hobby is learning Spanish in a month.
1: <laughs> one month you got we were timing You, you got thirty Hello, days. Hello
2: Duolingo, do you want to sponsor <laughs> me? <laughs>
1: That's perfect. Andrea Pekovich, thanks again for joining inside-in.
2: Thank you,
3: Mitch.
1: All right, I can't thank Andrea Pekovic enough. She was very, very generous with her time. Our biannual podcast chats are great uh, and hilarious as well as knowledgeable. So I'm gonna have to remember that you aim high, so then you fail spectacularly. But uh, thanks again to Andrea Pekovic. And now we talk to another former pro, a reoccurring guest on this show. It's Jimmy Arias, the former top five player. He has a lot of good intel on a lot of topics in the game, including Jessica Pagula's new coaching situation, what to make of Medvedev coming back after that Australian Open run. He returns to the court this week. The youth move in tennis, Mickelson, Mensik, as well as Fonseca down in Brazil. And a lot of funny stories as only the Buffalo native can tell them. Here's Jimmy Arias now on Tennis Channel Inside It. All right, now joining us on Tennis Channel Inside In, back again. Friend of the show, regardless of what you heard, uh, Jimmy Arias, back again. Thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In.
3: Yeah, I'm terrified, but, yeah, <laughs> there was yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah,
1: no no one even really talked about last time. Yeah. It was good. Um, I, I want to catch up on how the tennis season's going. And as I said before, 24 hours a day, like it's all around the world. This is the week. This is the week where this is happening. But looking back to last weekend, putting a bow on it, Got to give a shout out to Jordan Thompson, his first career title down in Los Cabos and, you know, 29 years old, the player, a player that had never really gotten to this point ever before and doing it the way he did it, beating the players he did. That Mickelson match is going to stand out for a lot of reasons, but down six love, three love, four one in a break point in that second, finding a way and doing it this late in his career is a pretty cool experience.
3: Yeah, of course it is. You're always going into your career hoping to win titles, win tournaments, and at a certain point in time, I think a player or a certain player might get to the point of, it's never going to happen for me. And Jordan Thompson wasn't there yet, (laughs) but he has been out on the tour for a long time without a title. So obviously you're going to have the doubts in your head that I'm never going to be able to make it. He does have – and it's also interesting because he does have – a little bit of a weakness in his game. So normally, someone in this day and age with a little bit of a weakness mm-hmm. has trouble overcoming that little bit of weakness. And his weakness can be his forehand. Yeah, he do much with it, but boy, he's a great athlete, and his serve is heavy, and he moves well, and he can get to the net, and he just happened to put mm-hmm. it all together mentally, and that's the difference.
1: Getting to the net. He won the doubles event, too, and that Saturday he had to play the semi and the final. So he won three matches on Saturday. I think the last one started after one in the morning.
3: That's (laughs) even more insane. I didn't realize that. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. And you saw the flashes in his game, and and I think part of it, too, like you win a match. You can answer this. Like you win a match that you're not supposed to win, that you find a way, especially as a lower-ranked player. You feel like you're playing with house money. Like this might be a little destiny-like.
3: No, that's definitely the case, except I would make the caveat that it's more so with a higher-ranked player. If you oh, have okay. a guy that's – Medvedev should be difficult to beat this week. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, Hercotch should be difficult to beat this week. The let
1: court against The let court yeah. against
3: Struff, double match point down, gets through it, that makes him dangerous yeah. now because he is playing with house money. And, yeah, it obviously worked for Thompson as well. It worked all the way down the ranking list. Yeah. And you can go through some of the players. Boris Becker was the one who sort of was able to win majors more often than other players so the US Open from, was that He the, did a yeah. U.S. Open against yeah. Derek Rastagno where it was a let cord that went over the racket of his <laughs> opponent who was set for a sitter volley on <laughs> that point. That's insane. And, and he ends up winning the tournament. Well, again, congrats
1: to Thompson. It's uh, he's not a stranger to being top players, but to put it all together back to back is the impressive thing. Um, you know, Mickelson. I mentioned his name last time we talked about him. We were both kind of discovering him for the first time at the pro game. Since then, he's kind of built on it. He's into the top eighty. He's you know hasn't even played his first career. He wasn't even a pro last time. But how have you noticed with his game? And and one of the things that your broadcast partner, Robbie Koenig, this week actually pointed out, he's like, watch the backhand. And I've noticed some real development there, and he's not a one-dimensional player. So in your perspective, what are your thoughts of what Mickelson's done so far?
3: Um, What he's done is he's not recognized that these players are really good. that he's playing against he has that sense you've talked about that like the false confidence is a good thing for these players coming up he does feel to me like he believes that he's better than the players that he's playing against for the most part or at least just as good Mm -hmm. and and it's interesting how you can do that right away normally when you first come on the tour you're thinking these guys are unbelievable (laughs) when you're that young and he does not have any of that to him so that's a that's a plus it's good to have that self-belief um and he does have great court sense, and he does yeah. he does have the intangibles that I think you need right. to become a really good tennis player. So I do feel as though, look out for him. He has all the little things that you need, and then, you know, maybe the game looks a little unorthodox at times, yeah. but it's effective enough, certainly.
1: I wanted to, you know, we can group these together, too. I want to spend some time on each of them, but you look at this generation with Mensik and then Fonseca, who committed to Virginia we'll see how <laughs> we'll see how that goes but there's a new generation coming up and you can throw other names in there Arthur Grisot at the French Open or at the Australian Open the French is another one but they definitely don't have the scar tissue of being beat almost mercilessly by the top guys there is that confidence there's a
3: skill obviously
1: but they believe they belong early
3: well they've proven already that they're right yeah. they do belong and they're for the most part you're talking about guys with really big power and upside, There's <laughs> weapons galore with this young group of players.
1: Yeah, Kazo um, is the one at Australia. He's not a very big guy. His serve is kind of like unreal for a guy his size. Like we've talked about that. He has the live arm. I think he was like a handball player or something, if I have that right. So he's got a serve that you wouldn't expect a guy his stature to have.
3: And that's such an important part of the game. And it's something that normally if you're not the biggest and you have a big serve, it's inconsistent mm. so we'll see what happens as far as can he consistently get first serves in serving at at big paces yeah. and hitting his spots um that's that's the caveat there but again these guys that we're talking about have weapons you need weapons today you need a way to finish points and, and they for the most part the youngsters they <laughs> got it
1: Mensik gets to that the Czech guy Mensik uh, gets to the final last week in Doha you know we had to pull out today against uh Davidovich, Fakina, but I've seen a lot of weapons, like the the ground stroke, especially he's he's crushing his forehand. But he had the match yesterday, Jimmy, against Chorich, born at Chorich, who's won a Masters event, who's been around a while, who's a seasoned pro, and he found a way, and I think that was one where I looked at a young player, and I looked at a lot of players, even veterans, that lose those types of matches. They get broke serving it out, they find adversity. But he dug in and won that match, and it was after a long run, too, so that showed me that there's more than just a game with a kid like that.
3: The thing for me that I'm yeah. going to be a little different than most people <laughs> okay. because I experienced this part of it. Yeah, When you're first coming up, there's less fear than later on for whatever reason. So when I first came on the tour, I, w- I believe I was 10-0 and 0 in final set tie breaks <laughs> because I had that little caveat of an out in my mind that, I'm still learning. Right, I'm young. I got years to go. If I lose, it's if like I lose, I'm supposed to lose. It's okay. Yeah. I, I, and so you played those moments relaxed, right? At least I did. And so I feel as though it's possible that these guys have a little bit okay. of that as well. And yeah. and as you said, there's not scar tissue yet, which mm-hmm. is once you've lost a few. I think I lost the next ten. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. it was sort of a uh, interesting how important it is mentally. So I feel like. Youngsters have a little bit of an out where their their confidence can show and their, and their nervousness yeah. doesn't. I was
1: surprised, too. Like, you mentioned that they have weapons. Fonseca, like, I didn't know anything about him. He's 17 years old. Again, looks like he'll probably turn pro early. But that's a very big kid. And, you know, the weapons that he has in playing on the home soil. I've always thought those South American crowds, like, if they get a local guy, they can uplift him maybe more than anyone. But, yeah, that was... For someone 17 years old to be as powerful, I know it's going to be raw in a learning process, but that was probably the most jarring of all this.
3: No, what was awesome (laughs) to me from watching a little bit of those matches (laughs) yeah, was there's not often, especially now, where you hear a crowd when you hit a regulation forehand and the crowd goes, whoa. Like while the point's still going on. Yes. Yeah. So... Del Potro used to hit some forehands <laughs> where people would would go whoa. <laughs> yeah, Alcaraz came up yeah, a couple years ago and there's some woes, mm-hmm. and Fonseca is now getting some woes. And yeah. usually, if you get that, it's been good things for you in the future. So I, you get the sense that that kid's going to be a top tenor soonish. Well, I've heard. Yeah, I mean, I've heard the little not part. soon meaning like the next right. six months, but. <laughs> right. Not many years.
1: I mean, I've heard a little birdie that was like, look, the locker room is the is your real barometer, and they were talking about this kid. Like, uh, there's something here. Like, this yes. one's one to watch, and that's how you want to know pretty much. You're, all
3: actually, you're right about that, because I, I remember <laughs> Paolo Lorenzi um, a couple of years ago, four or five or six years ago, and he was in Brainton, Florida, so <laughs> we, were, we were hanging out a little bit, and he, and he told me there's an Italian kid. <laughs> that when he hits the ball, it sounds a little bit different than everybody else. Yannick Sinner. <laughs> that's yeah. what he told me at the time. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously he was right. You can tell those ones that are, there's something a little different. And I think Fonseca, even from my coaches that go to junior tournaments yeah. that have seen him play, they would always mention him. They'd say, our kids did this and this and this, but there's this kid that's
1: different. It's it's pretty cool to see especially that region of the world getting somebody. It's been a long time since they've had a blue chip prospect like this, uh, from the country of Brazil. So, you know, I mentioned Mensik, and there were some veterans that won titles this past week, one of them being Karen Hatchinoff, and that's he's kind of like a baseline. I know he lost today, but that's just a fighter when he's out there. Like he's gonna grind out wins. Mensick gave him a match, but what do you think it is, Jimmy, about Hatchinoff, why he's consistently I know he hasn't broken through to the very top of the game, but he's consistently in the mix in these big
3: tournaments. I mean, he's 6'6", six, six, I believe. Yeah. 6'6". Six, six power uh, and speed moves yeah. pretty well. Um, I think that combination makes you dangerous. Mm-hmm. And he just goes ahead and hits the ball and goes for shots. I, I'd like to see maybe some variety, some mm-hmm. some part of the game that he could build on. But um, he's always going to be in the equation. He's got a little Thomas Burdick feel to me. And that Burdick was top 10 for a bunch of years <laughs> yeah. just didn't quite have st- whatever that little something is yeah to get past the the, the greats yeah it's going
1: to be interesting to see how like when Djokovic is out and then we look at how the post big three era really truly is because like we would assume like okay alcaraz was supposed to be the guy but tennis doesn't work that way center put the time in and his prospects are a little heavier. The last thing I wanted to close on with last week is Alcaraz rolls his ankle early and you know, those things can't happen. It's not injury history, but it does feel, feels like he's a little snake bitten and he needs to find a way to get his mojo back.
3: He does. He worries me a little bit. Um, Alcaraz because of how meteoric the rise was. Right. Um, sort of as soon as he showed up, boom, he's winning and he's beating, Adal and he's beating he's beating Djokovic and he's <laughs> he's winning titles and he's winning majors, and it happened really pretty quickly out of the juniors. Yeah. And and then there's the expectations, and there's all that goes along with that. And it looked like he was gonna handle it pretty well. But all of a sudden, last summer he started not looking after Wimbledon. Yeah. He started making a lot of errors, and it's almost as if when I watch him play. He has. To, he wants to hit the shot that makes the crowd go "Wow!" because he's used every match that he was playing. There yeah. was something he would do that was extraordinary. Yeah, there was a weird.
1: It was the match against. i Everyone's going to look at the Djokovic match in Cincinnati and that as the match of the year in four hours and all that. It was his match against Hubie Herkosh in Canada. If you remember that one. Where he kind of was up big coasting, I think it might have been the third set, but then he kind of got a little cute. He tried a tweener at like five two. It ended up going to a third set tiebreaker, and that was one where I'm like, hey, if we just kind of—and I know nothing with this, obviously—but if it was just toned down a little bit, maybe you think, okay, we can reserve some energy because I called that match, yeah.
3: and you're right. I'm thinking that, that's why I'm thinking that's why I'm yeah. saying what I'm saying that it feels yeah. as though he feels as from the crowd that he has to do something spectacular. And now he started, he's missed. He starts missing. Yeah. And he, and all of a sudden the confidence is waning and his game is very high risk. So if he doesn't have that confidence,
1: the landscape has changed. That's a credit to him too, is that center and Djokovic and other players, everyone below looked at him and said, all right, this guy's got two majors. He's the real deal. We got to tactically beat him. And they went in the lab to pro it's, it's so different, you know, to when they're programmed to beat you. You are the standard. They went after him, and Sinner got there.
3: Yeah. Well, Sinner was always, even when, Sinner's always giving him trouble. Yeah. Sinner, when he won the U.S., I know, but when he won the U.S. Open, when Alcaraz won the U.S. Open, he was down match points, I Mm -hmm. believe, to Sinner. Yeah. And Sinner then got him in Miami as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, for whatever reason, not too many players could stand up to the pace and the speed combination that Alcaraz was bringing, and Sinner's one that actually brings the it's exact crazy. same thing with a little bit on both wings too yeah. it's really crazy it is um no he,
1: he's remarkable stuff there uh more with jimmy Arias here on tennis channel inside and In. daniel medvedev back to the court this week hadn't played since aussie that run where he was on court seemingly all day and all night and nearly stole that nearly found a way to win the final up two sets but running out of gas against center looking like he's got the energy which is a good sign and still trying to i think. The one way I would want to describe this and start this is it looks like he handled that loss a little better than some previous losses and majors and certain things because it didn't take as much out of him, I don't think, mentally
3: as some of the other losses did. Well yeah, I think partly because he knew physically he was compromised going in and he had he played the final was amazing to me from the standpoint. All of a sudden, he's standing on the baseline, rapping balls. I've never been more like impressed with a loss. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, what that told you? <laughs> I remember watching it, thinking, "Can he can?" continue this because it's not his comfort zone mm-hmm. when it actually gets to those important, the most important moments. Mm-hmm. And it looked like maybe he could because he did do it through the first two sets. But I, it sort of brought me back to a time when I, I'd lost to Yvonne Lendl maybe four times in a row or something. And I decided, okay, we play a similar style and he's just a little better <laughs> than me because he beats me every yeah. time. So I'm going to do something different. And I decided to serve in volley at least twice a game because he would always just block my, serve back start the rally and we play um it was working i got up four three serving in the third and that's not my style (laughs) and so when it came down to the very end when i could win i choked like you can't believe (laughs) at first i missed the volley and then i stopped coming in and i hadn't been doing it and it was and i ended up losing the match so that was my thought watching that that made me medvedev it's not playing his normal style can he do this to actually win the title
1: That's funny. (laughs) That's another great story, and I think it kind of shows you, too, what you can do. And I I heard the point you made during Hubie's match today. Like, you know, Hubie's always playing tiebreakers. He's holding his serve, but he's given up a lot. It was O'Connell today, and it was about court positioning for young players, about how if you just kind of move around a little bit, then you can maybe get in their head a little bit, and then suddenly – here's a shank here, here's a break point, and you've got the set, got the match.
3: Yeah, especially if you're playing someone who's serving out of their minds. If they're serving great, and O'Connell had been serving over 70% first (laughs) serves in that match, you give them a different depth perception almost if you suddenly back way up to the fence. And if nothing else, they start thinking, Okay, he's backed up. You've, you've lost that feeling, that rhythm.
1: You're trying to get a rhythm server or a rhythm yes. pitcher, whatever the sport may be, out of whatever out of they're rhythm. doing. Yeah,
3: exactly. And that's something that most juniors just sort of, I return from this position, period. <laughs> and they don't make the adjustments sometimes depending on the server. You think it's, and this could be the pro tennis side too, do you think like when you get
1: to a level of skill and you're just better than like 95%, 97 98%, you're just like, why would I have a B plan when my A plan is so good?
3: yes i think players do have that (laughs) thought process it's when it is the however when you've recognized that i use the lendl example again i recognize i admitted yeah he's he's beating me he's better than me so i got to do something different you have to get yourself to that spot and it's hard for pros to admit somebody's better than them I mentioned you recall matches this week with Robbie Koenig, and
1: I had, you know, I know he likes to be online and vocal and spark up debate, but in, as it pertains to Medvedev, the discussion point being he thinks, and I want your perspective of someone who's been out there, he thinks it'd be better in general if players played more of their big points on break points like Medvedev does, where it's on the second serve, you're not going to be trying to just go for broke.
3: Yeah, we... <laughs> Robbie and I talked a little bit about yeah, this on yeah, the air cuz yeah, he is yeah. he's passionate about it obviously and it's hard answer because as I said to him if you're John Isner you don't want to just put the return in play you want to get right. a big edge in the point because you're not going to be able to defend well enough so it it's a little bit on who do you think wins the baseline rally mm-hmm. most of the time if your opponent does then maybe you should be risky.
1: There's so many variables that come to this. It's a hard to have a standard answer, and I get it. Obviously, Mevitt has the example of doing his style, how he plays. I agree with you. It's like there is analytics, but there's also missing it, mixing in the human well, component. Oh, but I think the pressure side is one, too, where from Robbie's perspective, and I get where he's coming from. Well, that's you what, you I, was gonna what there, I was going
3: to say. What yeah. I was going to say is an example was, for me, normally, if I knew – when I, this is when I was confident. If I knew I was getting a kick second serve in the yeah. deuce court, and I knew it was coming. I'm going to run around and try to crush that forehand, and I'm going to try to crush it into a corner too. Okay. Not, not on the line, but into a corner. But I remembered the, the most nervous shot of my life, the one that I wanted more than any, was quarterfinal night match U.S. Open against Yannick Noah. And he's serving at five six in the fifth. Mm-hmm. And he went for an ace second serve at fifteen thirty, I believe, down the T and double faulted. So it got me to double, double match, match yeah. point. He misses the first serve at fifteen forty. So in my mind, it's hundred percent he's gonna kick this he's okay. not gonna go for another ace. So I'm gonna have the shot that I want. To finish this match. And I wanted... You can't believe how badly I wanted this match. Yeah. And because I recognized that I'm crapping literally in my pants, (laughs) tried to swallow and I couldn't. It wouldn't go down. That nervous. Yes. I recognized it, so I said to myself, okay, I'm going to still swing as hard as I can, but I'm going to hit it right down the middle, which is what Robbie's point Mm -hmm. is in general, under pressure. Right. So... I got the kick exactly like I expected. I ran around. I swung as hard as I could to hit it down the center of the court. And I was so in front because I was so anxious that it went for an angle winner. And it looked like I was the most clutch guy ever. I missed that shot by a mile. That's
1: hilarious. Well, I would also point out, too, and that's why there's so much nuance in this. 1540 versus, like, double break point, double match point versus single. It's like a three-one count versus a three-two
3: count. Kind of, well, kind of. But when you're playing yeah. a big server That's and you true. get yeah. a second serve, right, you know you might not get an, you might That's not true. touch the next one. That's true. So, yeah. so yeah. you do feel that pressure against a really big server. It's a fun discussion, uh, and you've always mentioned like when I had
1: confidence. You just have a year where it's like I had confidence up till this point. I did. Yeah. Really? Okay, yeah, So it was like
3: it yeah. night and day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like okay. you can't believe the difference. It was. Well, it was basically mono. So yeah. Okay. I was, I had confidence my whole life till 19. Then I got sick with mono. I was three months in bed. Never had confidence wow. again to that same, to that same level. Um, it slowly dwindled, mm-hmm. but once it dwindled, it was <laughs> that a was, giant yeah. snowball. It dwindled badly.
1: Well, I mean, Hey, it was a great run up until then. So now we got, <laughs> it, it was, yeah.
3: no, no, Set. You know, all the things yeah. I said to myself while I was in bed for three months came true. <laughs> they were horrible things to say. I looked at articles. My mom had a scrapbook, and I'm reading the articles, and I said, eh, if I never do anything else in tennis, I've already done great. <laughs> the and scrapbook. the truth is I never really yeah. did anything else. And and the other thought I had that was horrible was I'd always wanted to be number one in the world. I was sure I would be number one in the world, too. That, that That's the key to sort of doing mm-hmm. really well is you got to believe that mm-hmm. you can. Um And I remember thinking while I'm laying in bed for those three months, I don't think I want to be number one in the world anymore. That's too famous for my taste. Oh, I'd like to be able to go to a movie and nobody knows who I am. But I, I said five in the world is perfect. Make pretty good money. (laughs) Some people know you, so it's a little bit of it can be an ego boost sometimes. Um, But I can still be really
1: like know you. Yeah, but I can be
3: completely anonymous at other times. I remember telling that story to Terry Pagula. Jesse's yeah. father and he said to me so you chickened out <laughs> and and I thought of it, it was the first time I thought about it I was like uh, yeah yeah you're yeah, right you, it's like yeah, yeah well you're right yeah, I did
1: that's how you looked at it well you mentioned the Pagua family and, and there's the news with Jess working now with Mark Knowles and another coach and did just turn 30 as well too so it's a a new start it's kind of you know it's an interesting point in her career too because she's gotten from 75 outside to number four number three at times and the one thing there, though, is that breakthrough in the majors. So how do you assess kind of her moves at this point in her career and what could get here to a major semifinal and maybe beyond?
3: Well, I think, first of all, that's what her focus is now. Mm-hmm. So up until this point in time, her focus has mostly been on the ranking and she's chasing points yeah. and she's trying to get there. And I think she recognizes that maybe she played a little bit too much and lead ups to Mm -hmm. she wasn't necessarily trying to peak at a major she was just playing to get points and i think that's going to be the new sort of thought process for her i'm going to try to build up to be at Mm -hmm. my absolute best Mm -hmm. when the majors happen um having said all that it's still you know obviously there's part of it is a mental thing for her getting past the quarterfinals yeah. Once you've lost enough times in the same round and every time you're in the quarters, I'm sure everyone in the press says, it's Andre Rublev you, you, too. Yeah, same thing. exactly. You, it, so it makes it, it makes it interesting to see if she can mentally, you know, breach that hurdle. Mm-hmm. But I think she does have the game to do it. She, she never looked right at the Australian
1: open and the ramp up to a major is the big three Serena method of we're going to prioritize the year. I mean, Pete Sampras did that too. And we're going to make sure the best is for that at the foregoing of maybe titles and ranking points. I've been encouraged also the priority of working on the serve. Like she's acknowledged, you saw it firsthand. Like that's what we're trying to do. That's
3: I worked like on it with managed. her. Actually, yeah. I was spent a week with her on the serve. And then middle of the week, Andy Roddick came on at a FaceTime <laughs> like, and we were together. Was, oh, okay, no, we good. did it. Oh, nice. we, we basically did it together yeah. um, at that point. And um,
1: is it, is it adjustment? Like, from your perspective from the outside, is it just like little technical things or is there is it not too much? Like is it just little tweaks? She had like, a
3: technical yeah. thing that was always going to stop her serve from being mm-hmm. great. Can she fix that technical thing? It's not going to be completely easy. Right. Um, it, it's a move and I showed her when I videoed her serve for. Her. I showed her the move when she gets her racket into a back scratch sort of position. She does a little bit of a move that makes the hand open up okay. just slightly and it, and you know, it's getting too technical to give me on a podcast, but it seemed like we got it looking and feeling a whole lot better the week I worked with her. Don't know if she can do it under pressure.
0: Yeah. Because that's she, the test. That's of course. <laughs> and there's
3: not a whole lot of time on the tour where you're working on something technically that you can you don't have enough time before you're you're thrown in the yeah you're thrown in it. the yeah. fire right away. So if she comes out right now and tonight, she's playing tonight, mm-hmm. and she can't make a serve, it's gonna throw her for a, a little yeah, bit of a loop.
1: In your personal story, you know about the Wendell match, it's like you might revert. It might just be like okay, I, I can't do this now. We're gonna it revert, might revert, yeah. yeah. But i I would assume if yeah.
3: it reverts, it will be worse than it was before because mm-hmm. she's been serving it in a in a better way with a. Her serve looked
1: yeah pretty good. Well, the pressure's here, and uh, we know that it's coming up to a big part in the calendar: Indian Wells, into my San Diego, Indian Wells, Miami, and then the clay where she's had success in the past too. So, rooting for uh, her to do the best there. Uh, other players, I just before we wrap up here with Jimmy Arias on Tennis Channel Inside and in, other players, I just wanted to ask you about like Sebastian Corda. Is he ready finally for? I don't want to say breakthrough. It's almost like a re-breakthrough. He had the injury after Australia last year.
3: Has had you know been stuck in neutral in a lot of ways. Is he ready for another breakthrough? I mean, if you hadn't, you asked me that question on Sunday just a few days ago. I would have said, I maybe, but nothing showing me that he is. And now he's, but then he's not losing games (laughs) to good players. So you know, it makes you feel like saying, yeah, now's the time. I do think I've been expecting better things from him than what we've gotten Mm -hmm. the last couple of years. And yeah, he's had a couple injuries. He's had some things, but you know, he started the year last year. If you remember almost winning, I believe it was Adelaide where he had match points on Djokovic and Djokovic was playing pretty well at the beginning (laughs) of the year last year. And he showed you that he has a level that's very, very high. It's just, can he reproduce it day after day? And can he reproduce it under pressure? His, his forehand, and serve are the two shots that can show signs of getting nervous. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting
1: because he was pegged by a lot of people as a number one future American. You see why? And he even beat Ben Shelton in, I think Asia last year down the stretch, but there's inconsistencies in big matches. And I don't know what the reason is, but like you said, it, it can go from week to week, day to day. The last couple of days he's on fire again.
3: It's kind of, <laughs> if he's feeling the forehand, if he's feeling as though the mm-hmm. forehand, he can go for it and it's going to go in, then watch out.
1: I mean, he he's, pushed Medvedev around in that match in yeah. Australia. Yeah. He's going to be. Hard to do.
3: <laughs> he's going to be dangerous if he's yeah. feeling it.
1: Yeah, you know, and the confidence is key, right? We're seeing the other side of that with Felix, because that's another one where you're just looking at, like, the tools are all there. He's still super young, but another tough loss early in a tournament in Acapulco, and you wonder, again, he looked great down the stretch in Basel, finishing his year strong, but hasn't been able to get back to his top 10 potential.
3: So, this is a giant stretch, and I don't think this is gonna happen. So okay. I'm going send yeah. the caveat right out front. <laughs> um, Felix went up very quickly as well. Has a very aggressive game, very high risk game. Mm-hmm. Lost a little bit of confidence, now struggles. That's why I said I get worried about Carlos Alcaraz. Very risky game, very aggressive. I don't think it's the same thing. I do think Alcaraz won't drop to the level that Felix has dropped. But when you see Felix playing now, you have no confidence. It would be a it would be a ma- every match he plays, you would if you're his coach and you care about OJ Aliassim, you're gonna be not feeling good until he shakes hands. Did you see that last match
1: like It was, he was upset and he gets broke and then loses like eight out of 10 points. It wasn't, you know, and and that's like, he's way better than that. We all know that. We've all seen what he can do. So yeah, that's why this sport, it's, it's crazy with confidence. And for a guy like Felix, it's it's the whole thing (laughs) in the end at that level. So yeah. Well, wish him the best as well. Uh, Wrapping up here, wanted to just touch on a few things, one being same flight for Nadal and Djokovic coming to America. So if you're on that business select flight and you got to see those guys coming through, it would be interesting. But they're coming out here early, and, you know, for Djokovic especially, hadn't been back in a while.
3: Yeah, it's interesting, and I also think if you know, I don't know that he, I think he's at UCLA practicing right now as we speak, Djokovic. Because someone sent me a picture. Yeah. <laughs> so he didn't he didn't go out to Palm Springs yet. He's hanging out in LA. Yeah. He was in Miami,
1: wasn't he? In Miami? or No, no. I think the Miami soccer team was in town. Maybe he was that hanging was it. with the guys. So he's in LA. he's hanging
3: so, yeah. in LA. I don't yeah. know. I'm sure Nadal's in, <laughs> in Indian Wells practicing on the
1: courts. The Nadal thing, and we've discussed it before. I'm glad he's back out here. I know what Indian Wells, Larry Elson, that whole setup means to ham this exhibition. I just hope he makes it through in one piece, and then we can get to the the real tennis. But, um, yeah, I mean, Nadal coming back here, too. It, you got to just cherish this opportunity when they're out here, because it's probably not going to last much longer.
3: Probably, yeah. although, it, look, I was impressed with the way Nadal looked to start down under in australia i know he got injured but mm-hmm. he looked pretty good yeah. in his matches he looked just like nadal uh, was moving pretty well and and so it, it sort of piqued my interest on what happens if he can stay healthy before yeah. Roland garros
1: yeah and the paris olympics too yeah and on rolling garros so. And,
3: and so that's to me the hope that he can just stay healthy at least through that part of the year and okay. see him one more time hopefully near his best okay
1: well, Jimmy Arias, this was fun. Uh, last thing here on Tennis Channel Insight. And because story time has gotten the best reviews for you when you tell some stories and stuff, and we were you know, pulling the curtain back for the listeners. We were supposed to record a couple weeks ago, which would have been Valentine's Day, but everyone was kind of busy. So I wanted to ask you about a story about a doubles match in 1987 that involved playing with a guy named Kelly Jones, and you oh. saw someone in the
3: crowd. <laughs> yeah, that. how the <laughs> heck do you pull that out of your head? That is... Um, that is the story of how I eventually met my wife and yeah. this story. I don't even know if I can tell it on air, but basically what happened give was me the cliff notes I, can, and, yeah. I, I can give it to you. I, I'll, yeah. I'll let you know. I was playing doubles with Kelly Jones. Yeah. I was more of a singles player, not a doubles mm-hmm. player and I wasn't great in doubles and Kelly was making more of his living playing doubles. So I felt responsibility not to screw up the match if I could help it. And I think he sensed that I was a little bit nervous so in the middle of the match, he calls me over and I think we're going to talk strategy. And instead he goes, Jimmy, pick a girl out of the stands. And after the match, you have to go for it. So, so I, I didn't know this part. That's great. So, so, so I look through the stands. I look through the stands and I say, all right, I'll pick her. And she ended up being my wife. Of 30, of 35 yeah. years now.
1: See, still going strong, which is why I brought that up. Happily married, kids, everything. But uh, I also have it. Is it true, you know, you asked mom's permission. You're a real gentleman here.
3: Yes, that was all. Uh, <laughs> I, I did ask mom's, because, okay, one of the things I used to do would, I would joke around with the crowd a lot. That was something that I, I yeah. took pressure away from with that. And I decided in that match, in particular, I would joke, while looking at her most of the time (laughs) and and she was laughing and and i was thinking okay this is this is working and the match finished i put my racket away and went to go see where she was and she was gone but i saw who she was sitting next to it turned out to be her mom so you're right i then walked up to the mom we started talking i asked permission could i take your daughter to dinner the rest and is history. Yeah.
1: Wow. Well, hey, delighted you were able to tell that story and, you know, finding love in tennis yet again. Uh, Jimmy Arias, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Insight and in. can't wait to do this again. All right. Thanks. That's it for another outstanding episode of Tennis Channel Insight and in. a huge thank you to both Andrea Pekovich and Jimmy Arias for appearing as guests. A reminder that this podcast is available on all your platforms, whether you get your podcast on Apple, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, Music, Google, just search Tennis channel inside in. The podcast pops right up. You can subscribe, leave a rating or a review. When you subscribe, every podcast is automatically downloaded so you don't have to do any more work. Just sit back, open up your podcast app every Thursday morning and enjoy the show. We're back next week for more Tennis Channel Inside and a very surprised guest, a very, very big guest on next week's show you're not going to want to miss. So that's my teaser for that one. But for everybody out there listening, I appreciate you. Thanks again to Jimmy Arias. Thanks again to Andrea Pekovic. My name is Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Insight and I'll talk to you next week.